the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Faith Talk Atlanta On Demand. You're about to hear an inspiring, challenging, and heartfelt message from Debbie Stewart of Hope for the Heart Ministries. Debbie was our speaker at Women in Ministry at the Georgia Aquarium on May 3rd. Would you please join me in giving a very warm Atlanta welcome to Debbie Stewart. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. Oh, it is my great delight to be here with you today. I've looked so forward to our time together. I want you to know that you have been prayed for. We've got a great group of women back in Texas. There's another group of women back in Louisiana where my roots are that are praying for you. And I just want you to know that I am a church girl. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I I am a church girl. I love everything about church from the Wednesday night supper to the hallelujah chorus at Christmas. I mean, I just, I love it. I'm a church. And here's why. The reason why is because I am a product of of women in ministry. Uh, I'm 51 years old. And when I was 23, my mom, who was 40, lost a battle with cancer. I had a five-week-old baby boy named Jared. And I lost that, ba- and she lost that battle with cancer. And it was not a godly grandmother that stepped into my life. Uh, my grandmother owned a bar in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Okay, I, I hope you called the bodacious. I hope you haven't been there. Okay, just don't let, don't tell me if you have. But it wasn't my, it wasn't my grandmother. It wasn't uh, any aunt. It wasn't anyone in my family that stepped into my life. It was women at the local church that stepped into my life and made a spiritual investment in my life. And I'm telling you, during that time, I had real struggles with the Lord. And every time I tried to throw in the towel, they just threw it right back. Oh, no, you don't. Not on my watch. You just get right back out there. You're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. So I'm so thankful for women like that. And that's why I'm a church girl, because the truth is, can we just be real and honest today? Like I come from a long line of wackadoos. Anybody? I'm talking like this is function and the family crazy people. I think ours is documented. You are a crazy person. Okay. I I, I think we have that. So that's why I love relationships among women. And I've served on a church staff for just over 20 years. And about four of those years was in a volunteer position. So I know much of what you are doing and what you're giving in the heart that you have behind people. I'm going to share a message that the Lord has put on my heart Uh, for you today. It's going to come out of Acts 27. I know you don't have your Bibles and uh, I don't want you to turn there on your phones or anything. I just want to hit some of the story, uh, a particular story and bring out some biblical principles. If you don't mind, I learned some of this through the, through the process of family. I have a husband. We're about to celebrate 31 years of marriage. Thank you. I will send your applause to him. He's the one who needs it because His name is John Mark, and my pastor says that's because it takes two disciples to keep you in line, John and Mark. (laughs) So I do not appreciate that. And I'm a little bit weird, as you can already tell. My family, I have so John Mark, the two disciples, so we've been married 31 years. We have Jared, who's 27. Haley is 26, and she and her husband, Chris, are serving on a church staff in Marysville, Washington. Uh, They have my one and only grandson, who is two. Raise your hand if you're a grandmother. Okay, like, listen, that boy's rocking my world. He is rocking my world. 
I'm loving it. But they live 2,204 miles from my front door if you need that information. Okay, so, you know, you pray your kids will walk with the Lord when they do your life. We're not that far. No, just a little closer to home, please. But that's, that is my sweet family, and uh, I, I'm getting into a new season of life. I've served on church staff for just over 20 years, and then with Women of Faith. And now, at Hope for the Heart, I have the ability to serve many churches instead of just one on on a staff. And we do a lot of leadership development and and teaching uh, training for teachers and things like that. But I'm finding myself now at a at a new place. I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but if you're around that 50 mark, you're looking at the second half of life. Like, what are you going to do with the second half of your life? Well, what's the second calling going to look like? You have a little more time maybe than you've had before. You have maybe some experience under your belt. And so as I'm looking at that, I'm trying to figure some things out because I mentioned my mom uh, was 40 when she died. So I never saw her mature in age. Okay, let's just say it like that. I never saw that. And so I have a little phrase back at, started at the church where I was on staff at Prestonwood in Dallas, Texas. My phrase goes like this, somebody should have said something. You know what I'm talking about? Like things happen in your life, like somebody should have said something. I mean, my mother would have told me, I'm quite sure, but she's not here. That Therefore, it is your responsibility. That if I'm going to grow a two-inch hair over my chin overnight, I think you ought to say something. Give a girl a heads up. To say something. So, you know what I'm talking about? I have to travel with tweezers and just check my face every morning. What's growing where? I don't understand it. Listen, last, last winter, we had 12 inches of snow on our back patio table. We went to measure it. My husband said, look here, there's 12 inches of snow. I walked outside in my shorty pajamas. I'm like, this is awesome. This is, whoo, this is awesome. You know, you know what I'm talking about? See, you know, see it's weird. So I think somebody should have said something about that. But that's going to happen to me. And so just kind of weird things are going on. If you're, I love some of you young girls here. I, y'all are probably mortified at this point, but. I'm going to tell you things are going to change. We, we used to look like y'all. Now we wear long stuff because we, we eat what we want now. We don't care anymore. So what we do. And so, so I've, I've learned that in this new stage, my, my mind and my body no longer agree on things. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're, 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 they're in cahoots against one another most of the time. I came home the other day and and my mind was like, get on that exercise bike, get on the spandex pants and get on that exercise bike. My body said, no, I'm going to the kitchen to have some brownies. That's what I'm doing. I worked hard. I'm in ministry. I'm having brownies. So I go to the kitchen and I'm eating brownies. And my mind is like, you should not be eating brownies. You should be exercising. I'm like, keep talking. I'll eat the whole pan of brownies standing right here. Keep talking. My, my, so the two disciples, he's on them. They have a little two-story house. He's on the upstairs landing where his little office area is. And he hollers down. He said, baby, who are you talking to? I said, that ain't none of your business. I'm spiritual like that. I cannot help it. I'm just, I'm just very spiritual. So I, 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 I'm learning that new things are going on. And, and here's the reason I do exercise. And I hope that you're doing that as well. And let me tell you why. Because I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. The Lord has reminded me, if you want to finish strong, you're going to have to be strong. And you no longer have time to get strong. You're going to have to be strong. Every year I ask the Lord for a word for the year and some, just a word that like maybe a banner over my life for the year, something that he wants me to focus on, something he wants to sharpen and further develop in my life. And I've been doing that for eight or nine years now. Last year in 15, my word was responsive, which means especially ready and extremely sensitive. 
Well, November of last year, 15, I, I began to ask the Lord, what's my word for 16? Because I'm trying to get a fun one. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I please, for nine years, can I get one fun one, please? I, I, I gave him some suggestions, which he was not interested in. And so let's go with delight. Let's go with jubilee. Let's go with joy. Let's go with one of the fun ones. And, and my friend called me. There are several of us that do this. She called me from Shreveport. And she said, I got my word. I got my word for 2016. Well, I could tell she got a good one. I could, I could just tell by her voice. I said, um, what is it? What is your word? She said, my word for 2016 is party. I said, no, it is not. No, it is not. It's not even in the Bible. I'm pretty sure it's not even in the Bible. Oh, she found a scripture in the message that says something about party. Now, she'll be a party waiting to happen. She's not even going to be my friend this year. Not even going to be her friend. But in November, I was doing a conference for Lifeway, and there was this one particular woman. I did four workshops, and the intent was to go to different workshops. And this one girl, she sat right here on the front in all four of my workshops and was taking all of these notes. And I noticed when it was over, several people lined up to talk to me, and she got in line, and, and then somebody got behind her, but she got behind them. She wanted to be the last one to talk to me. So she came up and she had something in her hand. I, I wish I'd brought it with me today. She had something in her hand and she said, this rarely happens. But I know when it does, I know that the Lord has spoken to me about something. And she said, I saw something earlier in the, in the Lifeway bookstore in the jewelry section, which I'm getting excited now. I'm getting excited. I'm thinking she's got jewelry. And she said, um, the Lord just impressed upon my heart to give it to you. She said, so this is so weird, and I, I just hope that you receive this as a word from the Lord. And she gave, she opened her hand, and there was a necklace, and it said, sacrifice. <laughs> no, no. You, you take your sacrifice necklace back to the bookstore. You give me the Jubilee necklace. You give me the joy necklace. You give me the fun necklace. Who makes a sacrifice necklace? Who gives it as a gift? I don't understand, women. This just makes you crazy. So I'm like, oh my. So I thought, this is total fluke. This is, this is the devil. This is of the devil. <sighs> so I go home and listen the next three days. And three different ways and three different times, the Lord revealed to me that my word for 2016 is sacrifice. I'm like, yay. My word sacrifice said no one ever. But here's the deal. When I look this up, we have an old dictionary that my husband's great aunt, who was a librarian for, I don't know, 114 years. She, she had this old, old dictionary, and they define words and spiritual meanings. This is way before Webster. And here's the definition of sacrifice. It means a total abandonment to the will of God at all cost. Well, then I said, bring on the sacrifice. Because that's what I want out of my life. I want a total abandonment to the will of God at all costs. And girls, if you haven't noticed, if you're going to push back the gates of hell and make some progress in the lives of women in ministry, you're going to have to fight the devil to do it. You might as well just settle that right here today. I'm in. I'm all in. And I know we have to fight sometimes our mind and, and our body together. Just we're, we're exhausted and we're overwhelmed and there's a lot of things happening. And I'm watching. I am watching the enemy ratchet up his attack on women especially. Do you know that I found out recently, well, it's been almost a year ago, last summer, um, that as long as they have been keeping statistics about incarceration, about people going to prison, there have always been more men going to prison than women because they don't want to send mom to jail if they can get her in a program or, or a center of some kind or a mentor. But last summer that changed, and now there are more women go, being incarcerated than men. They thought it was just a little, just a little fluke, a little trend, 
but it has not changed since last summer. We are watching sex trafficking, 98.2% are women and children. We're watching domestic violence escalate at an unbelievable rate. Listen, this is all happening on our watch. On our watch. Oswald Chambers says one woman is of priceless value to God's kingdom. And you may be that woman. And that's what I'm going to challenge you with today, that you stand up and say, hey, I'm just one girl, but I'm going to be a one woman that the Lord can use, that his power can be poured into my life, and that I will, I will sacrifice and give total abandonment to the will of God at all costs. And some of us are going to have to fight our flesh to do that. Some of us are going to have to fight the enemy to do that. Um, uh, I've learned in this particular season of life, as you get to this uh, stage, some of you, raise your hand if you're 50 and above. Let me just see your hand. I love y'all. That is, y'all are so cute. Y'all are adorable. I love that. I went to the to my yearly uh, gynecologist appointment every year. I suggest that you do that. Cancer runs a lot in our family, but you've got to be healthy. You've got to stay on on things like that. And, and so I went, and here's how I knew I had hit a new level. This is how I knew I have passed into this other generation. Is the, the lady walked in, it was the new nurse practitioner, and she walked in, and I'm like, what are you, 15? I mean, what, what, how old are you? You know, just look so young. And so she's reading through my chart, and she's reading everything. And so she asked me, she said, is everything about the same as it has been? Or do you need to, we need to put some notes in your chart? Is anything changing? I said, well, I've been a little more tired than usual. I said, I've, I, I, I'm kind of high strung, kind of high energy, but I've, I've noticed that my energy level is a little bit lower. Uh, and I'm a little bit tired when I get home from work. She said, well, Miss Stewart, are you exercising? What? No, you didn't hear what I just said? <laughs> See, that proves you don't have a degree. You don't even know that. No. I'm not exercising because I'm tired, okay? Did you miss that part? Listen, we had to fight our, we had to fight the flesh. To finish strong, you got to fight the flesh. Okay, I'm going to tell you this one little story about my two disciples, and I want to finish up because I want to tie it to somebody should have said something with Paul in Acts 27. My husband, the two disciples, is also a fisherman. We have a little lake house in Winsboro, Texas. And so we were headed that way, and he stopped by Walmart. He said, listen, do not shop. I'm just going to the bait section. I need to get these two little things that I need, and then we're going to the lake for the weekend. I was so excited. And so I'm in the front of Walmart waiting for him in the bait section, and my, my body mosey on over to the candy aisle. You know, I just, I'll get me some candy. My mind is appalled and is screaming at me, get out of the candy aisle. You shut up. You know, the call security, you know, call security. So I'm like, fine, I'll get out of the candy. So I go over here, and now I'm looking at the intimate apparel department over here. So, okay? My mind, my mind is like, get something those two disciples will like. Now, you just pick some lacy something. I'm like, no, I'm getting flannel. That's what I'm going to find me, some flannel. Maybe something in here to wear. And so I started looking through. I don't know if this is a, if this is a term you would recognize. Let's see how Southern you are. I was looking through, and I happened to come to a section that had the dusters in it. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It's a duster. Oh, my gosh. Some of you young girls are like, a what? A moo-moo dress. You know, it doesn't touch you anywhere. It zips, or sometimes they snap. You know, big pockets on both sides. It's awesome. Am I telling the truth? It's awesome. Listen, here's, here's, I learned. 
the pockets because if you got half thing in one room, just put it in your pocket if it goes to the next room, and then you can just deliver it to the next room when you get there. Just put them in your pocket. I, I was loving it. So I'm now looking for my size. You know, this is the thing we buy our mamaw every Mother's Day, you know, or the duster. And so all of a sudden, I hear this commotion at the front of Walmart, and it is the two disciples. Now, I cannot whistle, but he can, and he whistled loud. And everybody in Walmart looked. He's like, hey, he said, hey, step away from the dusters. <laughs> and I'm like, it just snapped me back into reality. I'm like, oh my gosh, I almost bought a duster. And so I walked back to him. He said, have you lost your mind? I said, yes, I have. And somebody should have said something. <laughs> tell me I'm going to lose my mind about it. But let me tell you something. Here's the cool thing about God's word is there are so many places where he says something. He has said something to us that we need to apply in our life. And this particular passage is about Paul. And, and here's why I've struggled with this. And sometimes we have to do this with God's word in passages. We just struggle through like to just figure out what do you want me to do with this? It's not enough to know what does God's word say. You have to know what does it say to me? It's not enough to know what does God's word mean? You have to know what does it mean to me? What does it mean to my situation? Uh, I'm going to give you a little home assignment. I want you to go home and read all of Acts chapter 27. Actually, just read all of Acts, okay? The whole thing will just help you. Just, just read the whole thing. But in Acts 27, Paul is a prisoner at this point, and he, the, the Lord lets him know in the very first verse, he says this, Paul, it's time to set sail for Italy. Now, you might think, so what? It's just it's time for him to go to Italy. You may think that that's no big... Um, deal for him that it's just on the schedule that's what he needs to do but the, the difference is what that little word time means in its original language time is derived from a word called kairos the old testament is written in hebrew the new testament is written in greek so the greek word comes from a word called kairos k-a-i-r-o-s and this is what it means a time in which god acts but must be driven through with force if success is to be achieved yeah that's what i said so this is way more than, Paul, it's time to go to Italy. It's the Lord in heaven going, child, it is time. Now, it's time. Some of you have heard that already. And I'm saying it to you straight from the Lord. And he's letting you, it, it's time. It's time. The Lord is about to, op uh, an opening and is about to appear, but it must be driven through with force. That's your part. If success is to be achieved, it is time. We're at that place in the calendar. So Paul gets on the ship, he is being faithful, he's being obedient to do just what the Lord asked him to do. He gets on that ship and immediately they begin to have strong winds and, and a, a storm came in and the Bible says it blew them off course and, and it says that every day the storm got a little worse and a little worse and the Bible says in Acts 27, they lost a lot of time and then they started losing cargo and they started losing their equipment and throwing things overboard and, and then the men were getting ready to get to the edge to just jump overboard. They wanted to quit, they wanted to just jump ship. And this is what I've had to struggle with with the Lord. See if you're like this. Probably not you, but the heathen girls that didn't come today, this is, this is how they struggle with things <laughs> like this. Is, is, here's what I don't get. Like if this back wall were a map, basically the Lord is saying from, to Paul, I want you to leave point A, which would be at that top corner. Paul, it's time to set sail. So that's where he was when the Lord said that. 
And then he wanted him to go over here to Italy. So that would be at the top of this corner. So they are traveling along and storm after storm. It's beating the ship to death. The Bible even says that the storms, that they lost the moon. They couldn't even see the moon and the stars. And that's how they got direction. But, but here's my struggle. Here's my rub. If Paul is being faithful, if he's being obedient, if he's serving the Lord and doing just what the Lord said, why shipwreck him? You, you, like, you understand what I mean? Here's, here's how I think. I know I'm weird, but I think like this. Um, if, he's, if he's over there, and you told him you want to be over here, and he starts moving that way, if the storms have to come, if the winds have to blow, here's a thought, Jesus. Like, let me help you. Um, let's blow him that direction. I mean, do you, like, like just let the winds be behind him to get him there all the faster. Do, you, do y'all think like that? Like, I don't, like, why blow him out to sea? Why shipwreck the man? He's being faithful to serve you. And I've said to the Lord, like, truly, I don't get that. To which he responded, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not asking you to get it. I'm asking you to do it. Now, if I say it's time to set sail, I assume you get on your boat, come shipwreck or high water or hell or not. That's where you're going on a boat. And you're going to get where I am sending you to go. And listen, I'm the first to say, I have not always liked at all. The places that the Lord has sent me. I haven't. I haven't. That's what happened to Paul when he was shipwrecked. I want you to read the rest of Acts 27 and 28 and you'll see why the Lord shipwrecked him. One one of the biblical principles that you can learn from that, that you and I can learn from that, is that the Lord, for whatever providential reason, we may or may not understand this side of heaven, the Lord wanted that man shipwrecked. You know why he allows shipwrecks in your life? Because there are times he wants you to be shipwrecked for his own good purposes. I've had them and you've had them. Our shipwreck happened on October the 13th, 2009. When two police officers walked into our home and they arrested our son, Jared. Our son today is 27 years old and he was a prodigal in our home for about seven years before he was arrested. We knew much of what he was involved in but we, because we were very involved parents. I mean, we, he didn't hide anything in our house because he didn't even have a door on his, you know what I'm saying, he didn't have a door. The windows were nailed shut. Raise your hand if you have raised this child. It's like, listen, boy, you're going to be the death of me. And, and, and when they arrested him that morning, we did not know the extent of some things that he had been involved in. And it's very hard to describe in words if this has not happened to you. And I've asked the Lord to just grant me tearless today so that I can share this with you. But when they arrested our son and took him in the back seat of that car, I went to the place where I meet with the Lord every day. That's why 20 minutes a day for the rest of your life is so important. You will develop this thing with the Lord that you cannot live without. It's way more than a relationship. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's this thing that you and him do that will help you to survive the worst shipwreck you've ever had. I've buried my mom, I've buried my dad, I've buried my brother who is my age, 51. But nothing has compared to the pain of watching our son go to jail. I went to the place where I meet with the Lord every day. It's an office area and and I would always pray at this chair before I would leave in the morning. I would kneel down and commit my day to the Lord, commit my life to the Lord and want to be used by the Lord that day. I, I threw myself on that chair and I said like, I don't get this. Like for seven years, 
We have begged you to deliver our son for seven years. We've asked you for intervention. We've done everything your word says do. And a lot more stuff that people said we should have done just to see what, 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 what progress we could make. Uh, we have done everything. We've had it anointed with oil, whether he wanted it or not. I mean, we've prayed over him, whether he's in the bed or not. I mean, it was, we did everything. Like, why wouldn't you deliver our son? And the Lord said, child, I just did. See, here's, here's Debbie Stewart's problem. I have a preconceived idea of what deliverance ought to look like. Anybody? Anybody doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, you want to hear mine? Here's mine. That he would come to his senses like the prodigal did in Luke 15. He would come to his senses and he would want to go to seminary and he would get a scholarship there. And then come on staff with me. At that time it was Preston Wood Baptist. Come on staff and serve with me. And, and we, he would marry a cute little girl who would adore me. And they would live a couple of doors down, have about nine kids at my house every Sunday for lunch. Okay. Does that sound like deliverance to you? Yes, it does. I think the Lord looks down on my plans and he's like, like, where do you get this stuff? Like, no, no, we're not doing it that way. But through that process of what we've gone through for the last seven years, and as I stand and talk to you today, our son is still incarcerated. I will spend yet another Mother's Day at a prison visitation area, and I cannot tell you what that feels like. But I can tell you what the Lord has done for us through this process. When I was introduced through our son and all of this to prison, can I be honest? Can I be real? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what prison ministry was about. I didn't know what prison was like. I had a nice little, if I can be honest, I had a nice little plush office at Prestonwood Baptist Church on the second floor. And if you had walked into my office and asked me, uh, Debbie, do you know where the local women's prison is? No clue. Debbie, you know how many women are, are incarcerated at the prison, which is 9.2 miles from this church? You know how many women are there? No idea. Didn't know, apparently, didn't care. And apparently, the Lord had had enough of that. So we begin to, to start, because of this, and because of some things that we've learned that happens with families and with prisoners, those who are incarcerated, we started prison ministry at Prestonwood. Prestonwood was a very, very large church, a mega church in Dallas that did not even have prison ministry at that point. So we started prison ministry there, and we began to go down to Dawson Prison was the name of it every Monday. We would leave at 12 o'clock. We'd get to teach there from 1 to 3. The very first day that we went, and we met with the ward, and we lined all of this out and what we would do, and... And the warden uh, told us we would be in pod six and pod eight. Those were the, the only pods. Dawson had 794 women incarcerated in this facility. We could only go to two pods. Those two pods had 64 women each. When we went in the first one, we realized they didn't even, many of them didn't even own Bibles. So we asked the warden, listen, they don't even have Bibles for us to teach. Can we bring Bibles? He's like, no, you're not bringing Bibles in. So I called the prayer group back at the girls at prayer team back at Prestonwood. I said, the warden said... We can't bring Bibles in. I need y'all to pray. And they're like, we're on it. About three weeks later, he's like, okay, bring Bibles in, whatever. <laughs> Just leave me alone. So, so we brought Bibles to all those women who were in pod six and pod eight. And, and then a couple of weeks later, the spokesgirl from the pod six pulled me aside and she said, we don't like the Bible no more. I said, what happened? What happened? Well, they read all the way through Genesis and then they got in Leviticus, girls, and it was trouble. You know what I'm saying? They're like, we're not reading any more of this. We don't even like, I, said, I wouldn't even read Leviticus. Okay, who reads Leviticus? So, so I realized, you know what? They don't know what to do with their Bible. I've also learned that about a lot of church girls. We have fed them, fed them, fed them God's word and never taught them how to feed themselves. 
and that has got to change. So, so we, that's why we put together the 20 minute a day that's out there. And so that's the approved, that's an approved resource that we can take into women's prison. So we put that together. We said to the warden, we're going to need to bring this in. So they'll know what to do with their Bibles. It'll help them with their Bible study methods and techniques. We all have different learning styles and teaching methods and that sort of deal. He's like, no, you're not bringing that in. I said, okay, I'm calling the prayer team. So I called the prayer team. A few weeks later, he's like, okay, you can bring it in. And those women began to thrive once they got their notebook. And once they got their, their principles that they could pull out to live by. Let me ask you a question. If every Bible study fell off the face of this earth, are your women going to be Okay. Like, do they know how to get their copy of God's Word in a, in a blank notebook sheet of paper and pull out biblical principles for personal application? That's our responsibility to teach them that. And so we, we did that. They loved it. And then about a year after that, we thought, we, we need to bring in a, more, a little bit more in-depth Bible study. So we thought, let's bring in the Beth Moore James Bible study. Raise your hand if you've done the Beth Moore James Bible. Okay, that's not for wimps. And so we asked the warden. He said no. We said, all right, here we go again. So went to the prayer team. Finally, he said yes. So that day, we brought in bags, 64 in each pod, brought in bags of the Beth Moore James Bible study. And those women went ballistic. I mean, they were holding their Bible study like this. And some of them knelt down on that dirty prison floor. Some were crying because they were so happy to get this Bible study. I started thinking back to the heathen girls at Prestonwood when I had passed out the James Bible study to that group. I didn't get that. You know what I got? Here's what, how many pages are in this thing anyway? My Lord, it just keeps on writing and writing. I'm not doing it. Are you doing it? I'm not doing it either. I'm just too much stuff to do. I got too much stuff to do to do that. That's what I got. That's what I got. And so as we were passing out, they got so excited. Then I began to let them know about the process. And if you've done the James Bethmore study, there, is, there are four levels of how you can do the Bible study. And one of those is the most challenging is that you, do you recall? Memorize the book of James. That's exactly right. And so when they were reading that and we were talking about that, I'm like, listen, y'all, no, not y'all. Y'all don't have to memorize James. Leave that to the church girls. Y'all, y'all just have to do your daily work. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. And then they said, what? We... We get to memorize the book of James together? And they started high-fiving each other. And immediately, they were putting together Bible study groups. We're going to meet at lunch, and we're going to meet at breakfast, and we're going to meet, and I'm going to quote it to you, and you quote it to me. And just before my very eyes, they organized themselves into all these groups that are going to memorize and quote James to one another every day. I thought back to my girls at Prestonwood. When I challenged them, we've done every Bethmore study on the face of the earth together. Plus a lot more. Now I challenge them. Here's a thought. Here's a thought, Einstein. Let's memorize the book of James together. How about we do that? No kidding. This is what I got. When the girl brought, brought me a phone, she said, um, I don't need to do that because if I need it, I can just get it on my iPhone. I, there's an app for that. Debbie, do you know there's an app for, for James? I can, just, I can just pull it up on my phone. That's all I need to do. You know what I told those girls? There's about 185 or 200 in that class. I said, you know what y'all need? Y'all need to go to jail. All of y'all. Go to jail. Do not pass go. Because I'm telling you one thing. I got 64 girls in pod 6 and 64 girls in pod 8. They're after one thing in this life. And that is to know their God better and how to walk with Him. Oh, I was so proud of them. It wasn't long after that that particular facility closed, Dawson. And at first I was so upset. I thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to see these. We have done life together now for a number of years. I'm not going to see these women again because they, sh- they were shipped all over the 
state of Texas until the Lord reminded me, I just sent missionaries all over the state of Texas. I, was, I can't believe it. Only God, only God can do stuff. There was this one particular lady I was always so drawn to. Here's the surprising thing to me about women who are incarcerated. It's the older women who were there, like the grandmas, the white haired. There was this one lady. Oh, I was, she was about this tall. No joke. Seriously, she was, she was 110 if she was one. But she was bent over. She was very wrinkled. And you could tell she was, she was a, just older lady. And so every time I would go into politics, I'd always look for her. She would never sit down at the area where we were sitting. If, if you've not been in a prison, a pod is about a, a fourth or an eighth of this room. It's very small. There are cement bunk bed tables, children's size, not adult size, on the perimeter of the room. And there are cement picnic tables in the middle. The, their bunk beds have a one-inch mattress and no pillow. You might also be surprised to know that in the state of Texas, our prison facilities are not air-conditioned. So when we go in, there they are. And when we walk in, they all jump down from their bunk beds and come to the middle part where their cement picnic tables are. That's where we do our study together. And so they hear the doors clanging so they know we're coming. They all get down. And and when I go in, I look for that little lady. And I was like, I always want to see her. But she would never sit down with everyone else. She would always stand, usually behind the pole of one of the bunk beds, like she didn't want you to see her. And so I'd always want to look for her. And finally, the spokesperson said, stop stalking her. You know, because I'm like, come here. I want to hug you. Come here. Come here. Come here. And I'd stop stalking her, you know, and she doesn't talk to anybody. Nobody talks to her. She, we don't think she speaks English. And so you need to leave her alone because you're making her mad. So I said, okay. So we all sat down and when we were doing the Bible study together and we were handing out the James study that day. And finally, with all the excitement piped down and And that woman came out from behind this bunk bed pole and she had a book in her hand and she said, may I say something? It was like E.F. Hutton. (laughs) The two girls on the front row were going, she speaks English. Who who knew? We didn't even know she speaks English. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I mean, everybody was dead quiet. And she's, again, this tall. She held out her book. She said, when you gave me this book, I got excited just like everybody else. She said, I thought surely this will help me keep, get my life on track. Oh, 80, 90 years old, trying to get her life on track. So I thought surely this will help me get my life on track. She said, but then the voice inside me, now she didn't call it the devil or the enemy or Satan, but that's exactly who it was, and he is alive and well, sending us a barrage of negative, critical, mean information all day long through our minds. And he, she said, the, the voice inside me said, you're not going to get anything out of this because you can't read. Same thing happened that day. Sucked the life out of the room. We, we had just had our Bible study party. Sucked the life out of the room. I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm hardly ever speechless. I, I've never been speechless a day in my life. But I, I, I stood there thinking, I, I didn't even know what to say. First of all, I was so mad at the enemy. I'm like, I want to say, excuse me, we are having a Bible study party, and she's the oldest one in the room, if you don't mind trying to get her life on track. I mean, really? I thought, if you show your face, I'm going to punch your lights out because I've about had it with you. I've just had it already. And so I'm thinking, you know, I assumed he would do that when we all left. And it was 9 o'clock at night. It's called rack-up time. That means the lights go out, the women get on their bunk beds, and there's no talking. I assumed then the enemy would go from bunk bed to bunk bed, 
trying to discourage, trying to lie, trying to keep those women from making any spiritual progress in their life. But I did not expect him to do it while we were still standing there. About that time, I'm trying to pull my thoughts together. The lady next to her stood up and put her arm around her, which she had never allowed, and said, don't worry about that. I'm going to read to you. And then the lady on the other side put her arm around her. Now she's got two arms around her. She's freaking out. But she said, hey, I'm going to read to you too. Every day I'm going to read to you. And then the lady on the second row stood up and she said, I'm a fourth grade English teacher. I'm going to teach you how to read. I'm like, take that devil. That is what you get. Listen, that is what you... We have, we must live our lives in such a way we make the enemy sorry he messed with us in the first place. That's how we got to live our life. Not in defeat, not in discouragement, not in depression, but in victory. Because if, if the Lord Jesus shipwrecks you, you better know this, girl. You, you, there's a plan in play. There is a purpose in play, and I don't want to forfeit it. And I don't want you to forfeit it. I, I learned a valuable lesson about the enemy that day. We all know and very familiar that he will lie to us. He's the father of lies and he'll just, he'll try to discourage us and lie to us. But do you, you know what he will also do? He will discourage you with the truth. The truth. Because the truth is, she couldn't read. The truth is, I have a son who's incarcerated. You know, what's your truth that the enemy beats you up with nonstop? This is the way it is. This is what's happened. But you don't yet know this side of heaven what the Lord plans to do with that because my God turns things. My God turns prodigals into preachers. You know what I'm saying? My God turns prisoners into preachers. He turns things. That's what He does. But He's looking for somebody who's willing to do the turning thing with Him. He's just on the hunt for somebody who's willing to sacrifice total abandonment to the will of God at all costs. I'm thrilled to report our son is doing, he's doing great. That boy's walking with the Lord. Matter of fact, thank you. He is, um, he is in the, what they call the parole assessment process. And at some point in the next few weeks, he'll meet with a parole board and they will make a decision about his future. And listen, whatever decision they make, I know this, my, my father, my Lord has the final say in that boy's life. My Lord has the final say. But when we were there visiting him, he's in Childress, Texas. We were visiting him not long ago. And because they don't allow you to bring Bibles in, they don't allow you to bring anything in. There were some scriptures he wanted to talk to us about and some things the Lord was teaching him. So he memorized all the scriptures so that when we had our meeting, he could, he could know. You think I had memorized any scriptures? No, I had not. So he's asking me about all these. And so we had a great visit with him that day. And when we left, and if you've never been into prison or anything like that. You, what you see on TV, is a lot of that is very real. There's 15-foot fences with razor wire tumbled around. There's big guard stations with guards with guns at the top of the... I mean, it's, it's quite the security thing and quite the process to get checked in and checked out. And we were leaving that day, and the, the two disciples and I were walking this long path, and there was the, the gates and the razor wire, and we were walking out. And my son had gone over all of these scriptures with us. And my, my husband looked over to me and he said, I am so proud of our son. I said, I know, me too. And then we just busted out laughing. We're like, who does that? Who leaves prison going, we are so proud of our son. We're so proud of him. He's doing so good. Listen, you know what we're proud of? We're proud of the redemptive work that Jesus Christ has done in his life. That's what we're proud of. That's what I, that's what I live to see. That's what I live to see in your life as well. 
And I don't want us to forfeit that because we didn't get the life we planned. We didn't get the things that, things didn't turn out the way that we planned. And it looks like with everybody else that it did. But let me tell you what Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel 14, 23 says. You, and I, I, the Bible says you, and so I, and I put a comma behind that and put my name there. I want you to personalize the scripture. So it would read like this. You, Debbie, shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done, saith the Lord. Well, what are you going to do with that? Girl, you can sleep at night. I have not done without cause all that I have done. Regardless of what the enemy's telling you, Regardless of what the facts say, I have not done this without a cause, without a purpose in play in your life. And child of God, do not forfeit the blessing and the providence of God in your life because it's hard. It is. Luke one forty five says this. It's my life verse. Blessed is she who believes what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Isn't that sweet? Blessed is she who believes. I'm believing for great things for our family, for our son. And, and when you finish reading Acts 27, here's your memory verse. That's verse 25. You'll read through the story and you'll see the shipwreck and you'll see many of those men tried to jump ship and Paul called them all together before anybody jumped out. That's, we're not going to jump ship here today. He called everybody together, kind of like what we're doing today. And this is what he said to them. He said, an angel of God whom, whom I love and whom I serve appeared to me last night and said, no one will lose their life, but the ship will go down. So you take courage and believe God. That's verse 27, Acts 27, 25 says, take courage and believe God. Say that back. Take courage and believe God. Girl, what choice do you have? Take courage and believe God. But I love how that passage closes where it says, um, nobody will lose their life, but you will be shipwrecked. So, so sometimes I feel like when, when, you, when I'm with the Lord and I'm like, hey, I'm sacrificed. I'm all in, a total abandonment to the will of God. He's like, good, good. Um, here's your life jacket because you're going to need this. You're going to be going down real soon. We'll take, go ahead and take your life jacket. You need that. But that's exactly his plan and purpose. He's trying to grow us up. And I want us to make some spiritual progress in our journey. And I want us to make a spiritual investment in the women coming alongside us and those coming behind us. You may remember the poem. Maybe you even have it in your house. Or maybe your grandmother had the poem Footprints in the Sand. Do y'all remember this? See, some of you young girls are like, what? Google it. Footprints in the Sand. You need to read it. It's a great poem. And it's about, it's about the man who just walked with the Lord every day. I wish my life were like that. I wish I could really say that was me. Walked with the Lord every day except when it got really hard. And then he carried me and thereby the reasons for the one set of footprints in the thing. I wish my life were like that. I found a poem that uh, similar, but this better describes my life. It's called Butt Prints in the Sand. <laughs> Don't tell your pastor I said that. <laughs> one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat. They're too big for my two feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk by faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed and would not grow the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired and I got fed up and there I dropped you on your butt. 
<laughs> because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb and one must rise and take a stand or leave your butt prints in the sand. <laughs> bless the Lord. I just say, bless the Lord. Would you reach out and touch the hand, the arm, the elbow of this sweet girl next to you and let me pray a blessing over you, please. Father, your presence in this room today is absolutely overwhelming to me. I don't even want to leave, and I just cannot thank you enough for the moving and the stirring and the thing that you are doing in their lives. Oh, Lord, I pray you will see it through to completion, that you will find willing hearts, that you will find sacrificed minds and our, our, our plans and our priorities. Lord, we are your main servants. Let it be as you desire. And all the girls said, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed the ministry of Debbie Stewart of Hope for the Heart Ministries. You can find out more about Hope for the Heart by clicking the link at faithtalkatlanta.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.